And welcome to Desk of Lady Ada. Hey everybody, and welcome to Desk of Lady Ada. We've got a triple-packed show tonight. Jam-packed. We did. Uh, we went out. We went out over the weekend, and our trips are uh, part of the things that we do. We love sharing things that inspire us and things that we do and places we go. So we're going to show some of the Vintage Computer Fest uh, photos and video. But first, we're going to do INPI because we had a jam-packed show on Wednesday, so we wanted to get to that this week. And then we're going to do, from the desk of Lady Ada, the great search. <clears throat> and then we're going to roll into uh, some other fun stuff. So, Lady Ada, let's jump in right away. Right, that's right. INPI. This week's item PI brought to you by DigiKey and Adafruit is from Innocent. Lady Ada, what is this week's item PI? This is, they're not guilty, they're Innocent. Yeah, um, I like that name. Innocenti. This is a uh, German sensor uh, company. I've never actually used their stuff before, so this is always kind of nice when I get to highlight um, a new uh, electronic developer. There's a lot of small businesses or smaller businesses that um, make electronic components and sensors and and doodads and good stuff uh, so I'd like to highlight them so this week's IMPI is from them it is the IMD 2000 uh, UART output radar uh, sensor to uh, sorry 24 gigahertz radar sensor so how do you want me to what how, how do I want, how do you want me to tell you to go to the next slide so oh yeah because I usually I can poke you but yeah. Um, so this is what it looks like. Um, so this is, you can see the uh, 24 gigahertz antenna on the top. And then um, on the bottom row there, you see a six pin connector. And we're gonna get to that shortly. Okay, so uh, this is the data sheet. So this is a um, fairly new product. It's a um, radar detector. And you can see on the right what it's good for. So it's basically like detecting motion, object detection, object counting. Um, you know, it's a 24 gigahertz radio. It can run off of five volts. It's good up to about, I think, uh, 50 meters. Um, uh, you know, ideal range for detection is 20 meters. Um, and we haven't featured a radar before, and I've never really used radars uh, at Adafruit before. Um, but they, you know, people are pretty familiar with the concept of a radar. Um, this great image from Wikipedia. Uh, there's even an animation that goes with it. Um, a lot like sonar and even IR um, detectors or even time of flight, kind of any kind of distance or um, object detection, you are sending some sort of, you know, wave and then you detect the bounce. And when you're using an IR sensor, you're detecting the light and time of flight, um, you're detecting the photons that bounce back. And with sonar, you're detecting the sound waves, the 40 kilohertz plus sound waves. With radar, um, you're using, um, you know, multi megahertz, multi gigahertz. Waves, of course, um, usually the lower the frequency, the farther that they go, but you may be the less precise the measurement. So it's a balance. Um, radar has um, lots of bands. You can check out the Wikipedia article, which is really long, and it was kind of fun to read, um, all about different radar systems and what they're used for. Um, what you probably are most familiar with, um, radar is, well, first off, it was invented, um, you know, which I found out it was invented like in 1905 or so and was actually used mostly for military applications, as you can imagine. Being able to de detect a flying metal thing coming at your city from far away is really handy. You want to know before it shows up um, that these planes or these bombs are coming. And so that these were used a lot in World War II to detect uh, planes, to detect boats, to detect submarines. 
Um, and what's interesting about this is you can sort of see this is on a platform. It rotates around because radar, you know, you're sending out the signal and you're reading the bounce back, but it's unidirectional. Like it's only one point, a lot like LIDAR. And so you have to spin around if you want to get a 360 degree view, which is where um, the really common, you know, air traffic control or, um, you know, military radar, you see something like this where you're detecting um, you know, it'll, it'll often pick up like other atmosphere effects, but you can see little blips on the radar and then you know, hey, that's a, a plane coming into the airport and you have to tell it to either come in or, or pause. And it's usually used, of course, nowadays in conjunction with GPS and other location. But like radar works really well. Um, it's, it's, you know, over 100 years old. It's time tested. Um, you know, we also use it for weather detection and other stuff. Um, but probably what you as a consumer are really familiar with is uh, a radar speed detection gun. Um, this image also from, from Wikipedia. Um, I never knew what they looked like, but this is, uh, they have one that's taken apart too if you wanna look at the image, but it's got a radar cone inside of it and it bounces a radar signal, also about you know 20 gigahertz-ish off of a car. And by um, measuring the speed and frequency that comes back, it knows the location, the, uh, sorry, the, that it's bounced off of an object and how fast that object is going. This, of course, brought back um, flashbacks of this ad, which was in every magazine known to me. Like, if you read Popular Science, this oh, wow. ad was in there. This is Mike Valentine, who made a radar detector. Yeah. Electrical engineer, also interesting story. Uh, if, you're, if you're curious, read about it. Uh, but he's an engineer, and um, you know, as you expect, the radar detector for speed detection um, you would, you know, you'd have a very sensitive receiver that would be listening for that frequency and it would know, even if you detected a little bit, you'd know, okay, somebody's operating a radar in this area, but it's not a common frequency that you'd pick up. Um, anyways, uh, they're still making radar detectors, don't you know? Um, okay, so the question is, you know, with sonar and IR and time of flight and uh, even LIDAR, you're probably like, oh yeah, you bounce a thing, you know, the, the wave off, you see how long it takes for the wave to come back, you divide by the, you know, wave speed, you know the distance, right? And that's a really common thing you want to know with, uh, P, yeah, not PIR, IR, um, time of flight, and LIDAR. But with radar, what's interesting is because the frequency is so high, you can take advantage of the Doppler effect, and there's, you know, this great Wikipedia animation, it's a thing that, you know, as an object's moving, if there's waves emitting from it, like in this case, a, a sound wave, a honking horn, as it gets closer to you, the frequency pitch seems to go up, and then as it leaves, it goes down. So, like, if you're familiar with sirens, that's why they seem like they have a varying frequency as they pass by you, but really it's, it's one solid frequency or one, um, you know, one, one stable frequency, but your, the sound wave is compressed as it's moving towards you, and it's stretched out as it's leaving you. So the same effect can be used with that radar gun. It's shooting this 24 gigahertz uh, or so frequency um, wave, electromagnetic wave, and then when the wave comes back, if the object was moving, you're gonna get some variations in the frequency. Um, if you have a very good detector, you can of course use that to determine um, the speed of the object that you're bouncing the signal off of. Uh, very cool, and that's how speed detectors work. So it's an interesting, you know, thing that if you don't you don't get with IR time of flight or lidar or sonar. Um, you know, so I mentioned um, IR sensors. You know, compared to IR, radar is going to go much farther. It's not affected by ambient light. It's not affected by the color or reflectivity of the object. 
Um, with time of flight sensors, um, these are less affected by ambient light, but they also, you know, they tend not to go more than six meters, whereas um, radars love to go multiple, multiple meters and go very far distance. Um, that said, you're gonna get more precision out of a time of flight sensor. These can do about a millimeter precision, whereas a radar is gonna, I don't know, probably gonna be like a half meter or so of precision of a location. Um, and you get the really good ones. Uh, sonar can go very far distances. Um, I like sonars a lot, but uh, one of the things that's annoying about them is the cone of the audio wave is quite wide. Even, you know, this one has a little cone shaper to it, but even then the spread is quite wide compared to um, LiDAR or, or radar. And then of course, uh, LiDAR sensors, which, uh, you know, are kind of like time of flight sensors they mount a laser off. These are very precise and they're actually being, they're kind of replacing radar, but they're still quite expensive and they're new. So, you know, it's, um, yes, they're available, but you know, there's only a couple companies that make uh, consumer grade LiDAR at the same price point as like a radar like this. So, um, so this radar module um, is, is what, what I like about this radar module compared to others that you're like, oh, I can get like these $3 modules, you know, off you know, eBay or whatever but those tend to give you a pulse width or sometimes a couple pulses. And then you have to like do the math yourself to determine um, distance and the velocity if they do velocity. What's nice about these modules is they have a UART protocol. And so you don't have to do any math really. You just, you just get data out and you can send it directly to your computer or your microcontroller or whatever um, using their API, which you have to email them to get. Um, so I don't have it set up, um, but it is, you know, 250 kilobods, so it's, it is like a standard UART protocol output, and it can detect uh, multiple items up to 50 meters away. And the pinout is even uh, FTDI compatible. How handy is that? So um, if you do get this module, you know, basically you, you can skip a lot of the analog front end work that you would normally do with low cost radar, um, and you get the data out and it's like pre-processed and formatted and ready to go. So that's why I would recommend this for if you have a product or project and you wanna just kind of get going fast, um, because if you get a low cost radar, you're going to have to spend a lot of time mucking around with, um, the signal to get the data you want. And then you not, maybe you're not even sure that it's quite good. Sometimes there's a high pulse and a low pulse and you have to like take the differential of it. Um, so I've, you know, it's, it's why you don't see people use radar that often. Um, well, and but there's a, like a thousand of them available so you can pick them up. Um, and then you'll have to register and to get an account to, to get the software, but apparently there's desktop software for Windows that you can pick up. Um, I would highly recommend the company to just make it available so you don't have to register to get it. Um, but then, you know, you could also get the API for the UART protocol and then use it with any mic controller. You don't necessarily have to use the desktop software all. So I think this is kind of like an easy way to get started with uh, radar sensing for, you know, people counting, uh, for motion detection, um, you know, sometimes it can go through materials as well if it's uh, translucent to a uh, high frequency um, gigahertz. So um, do check it out. I, I think it's a new it's a new kind of sensor that I haven't used before. I mean, it's an old sensor, but it's one I haven't used. Um, but I think it could come in very handy when you need that uh, precision range and, of course, velocity measurement. All right. And we have a video. It's about two minutes. We're going to play it. Abbreviation radar stands for Radio Detection and Ranging. 
The radar emits electromagnetic waves which travel at the speed of light. These waves will bounce off objects on their way and a part of the energy will be reflected back to the radar as an echo. The radar can precisely measure movement, velocity, direction, presence, distance and angle of an object. We offer you a wide range of solutions for a vast range of applications. Let's start with home automation. With radar-based touchless switches, we make your home more comfortable and energy efficient. Radar systems from us are not limited to basic motion detection. They also perform tasks like speed measurement, vehicle counting and classification. Our radar-based motion detectors and barriers are not limited to indoor security. They also ensure complete perimeter protection for critical infrastructure outdoors. Autonomous machines equipped with radar detectors scan their surroundings, navigate around obstacles and avoid collisions. Our radar modules open doors and gates. They can precisely measure your sporting performance. And in driver assistance systems, they help you drive safely. In this example, the level of fluids or bulk material is measured in a contactless manner. The general advantage of the radar is that detectors can be integrated invisibly behind a wide range of materials. This makes them robust against environmental influences and vandalism. Good to know, radars work in the dark as well. Works in any weather. works in extreme conditions like heat, dust, steam and dirt. We are a market-leading, cost-effective manufacturer of radar sensors and radar systems in high volume. And that is this week's Eye on MPI. Eye on MPI. Okay, some questions. First up, could this work for a custom slow down sign? Yes, I mean it's used. It can be used for speed detection um, or object detection. Okay. Next up, is the speed of the UART protocol slow enough to BitBang, and it uses the Stemma QT port? No, it's UART. Okay. Speed of the UART protocol slow enough to BitBang it, and use a Stemma QT port. Nope. Okay. It's UART, and you should use a hardware UART. Okay. All right, so let's uh, jump right into the next segment. Are you okay, ready? Let's We're going to do the Great Search. Where in the world is that part I need? The Great Search with DJK. Okay, this week's Great Search brought to you by DigiKey and Adafruit. Lady Ada, what is the Great Search this week? Okay, so this week we're going to look at uh, RF capacitor kits. Um, it's a handy thing, which I don't have, and so I was actually looking for one today anyways to purchase. Uh, so let's go to the overhead. Um, so I was chatting with Unexpected Maker about the ESP32 S3, and uh, one of the things they, they mentioned is, um, you know, that they're sending us these new boards, the ones that we put in, that have um, a better RF um, Pi network. And um, it actually gave me a hint to understand why my ESP32 Cutie Pies weren't working. Um, I thought that it was uh, the RF signal was too strong, but it actually turns out I think the Pi network is mistuned. Um, and he mentioned like, oh yeah, you know, I just have to kind of try a couple different values and do some math and do some analysis and use a VNA. 
um, which I'm totally into. But um, before you you hook up your VNA um, and after you know after doing the math and and while you're doing the VNA tuning, what you want to do is be able to swap out um, the Pi network, which is usually made up of uh, inductor and two capacitors. And the inductor and the two capacitors are like very small values and they're very precise. Usually the capacitors are like one to four picofarads, uh, maybe five picofarads. And the um, inductor is usually a, like a nano Henry or two or three. So having a kit, because you want to try multiple values and the capacitors can have some variation. Um, so you're not going to get try like 2.2, 2.3, 2.4, because it's going to be plus or minus 0.25 picofarad anyways, uh, variation per per uh, component and um, on the PCB and, and depending on, you know, humidity and stuff. Um, but you, you do want to try very close values and, and, and see if you can tune um, your antenna and your network as, as close as possible. So um, having a, you know, you could buy strips of cut tape, but it's better if you can just um, get the uh, um, a kit that gets you all of them. So why don't you go to the computer in that way, I Sure. I'm going to go to the computer in just a sec. Sorry. Got a bunch going on today. That's right. Okay, that's, but that's why I can, I can go to here yeah. and here. you can keep on top of your stuff. Um, so uh, I just searched for capacitor kit. Oh, so this is the, the NPI. So cool radar. Um, so DigiKey has a bunch of resistor and uh, capacitor kits. Um, available both uh, through hole and surface mount. Um, this time we're just going to look for the capacitor kit and um, there's a couple things that I'm going to be looking for. So first up, uh, let's go only for active and um, in stock right now because I'm only going to buy one and I just want to buy whatever, you know, I want to make sure they have it. Um, I want to make sure it's an SMT component. I don't want through hole because I want, you know, the small capacitors. They have, you know, electrolytic cap kits that are like, you know, every big value uh, or ceramic. Um, next up, um, so the capacitance range is a little bit tough uh, to go through. I mean, I definitely don't want these larger ones, um, but it's also like they're kind of intermixed, like there isn't a start and end. So what I did instead is first I went to um, the package uh, and I don't want a package range, I only want 0402 because um, 0402 is is a very common small enough to not have you know size effects but um, large enough that you could hand solder them if you wanted to uh, some people use 0603 that's also fine I tend to use 0402 for RF um, signal stuff don't forget that there is the imperial is 0402 which means the metric is 1005 and um, by selecting that small size it actually limited the ranges already because it's like you're not going to get, you know, a 10 microfarad cap in, in a 402. Um, and then with tolerance, um, what I normally would want is um, to only pick uh, C0, G, or NP0 uh, tolerance, but they don't have that here, and so they do this by, like, percentages and stuff. So what I want is pretty much anything that's, you know, I don't want it to be 20%. It should be... 0.25% uh, or less um, tolerance variation. And now I can actually look at uh, the capacitance ranges. So they have one that's uh, 0.05 picofarads to 0.075, that's too small. 
They have 0.1 to 22, which is kind of small, but that's still within my range. I want kind of, I want kind of like one to 10. Um, this range looks good. This one's too big and this one starts too high. So, you know, this, these, are, these two are too low and these two are too high. So like this is a, a nice start. So let's apply and see what's available. So there's a couple of ones available. Um, not surprisingly, there's ones that are from each company. So um, Murata, um, you know, makes a kit uh, point, you know, it's C0G, you can see in the photo, 0.1 picofarad to 5 picofarad. Um, that's a nice looking kit. Um, I actually thought that um, there's a couple kits I thought that were nice, but this this one was not too bad. Um, it had some. It it kind of has a mix of both um, small. Like I like doing the look over because you can see it goes from 0.2 picofarad, 0 0.3, 0.5, 0.7, 0.9, 1, 1.2, 1.5, 1.8, 2.2, 2.4, 2.7, 3.6, 4.3, 4.7. Five, six, seven, eight, ten. You know, so it's like it's kind of like larger. Um, goes to thirty picofarad. Um, this one has many, many more values. It has like every point one or point two value up to six point eight picofarad. So this is actually um, the kit I ended up thinking I'm going to get. Another thing about this kit that I like is it only goes up to six point eight picofarad, and I tend to be dealing with two point four gigahertz, which is like the range I want. Um, what I would first do, if you're not sure, if you're using other frequencies, look at a common Pi network for that antenna, like 50 hertz-ish, and see what the range of capacitor values are, because you might need um, larger caps as you go to lower frequencies. Um, these are all good kits. Um, you know, some are going to be, like this one also looks really great. This one's a, a DigiKey brand one from Tayo Yudin. Um, 25 values, 10 pieces each. Um, 10 pieces is a smallish number, I think, just in case you're you're doing a lot of um, soldering and desoldering. Because, like, honestly, the O402s, like, I kind of lose half of them. Like, I grab them in my tweezers and they fly off. So that said, uh, I think this one's a good one. S402TS. So I would pick this one, um, grab one of these, and then I'm going to use this as I uh, uh, tune this Pi Network on the ESP32 Pico. All right. And that is this week's... Great search. Okay, while I um, talk about a video segment that um, we started this week, Lady Age is going to plug in the uh, beautiful computing module. Connection machine. Connection machine. Okay. I call it the computing module because well, I'm is, tired and, and, I, and I'm blending all the words. Okay, so this is um, I plugged it in. Yeah, so we have a new we have a new segment called ship shortage, and here is a, a speed up from the show where we will each week show what ship we can't get. As you can see, zero stock, and it was Bosch this week, and we also have a, a really cool um, intro uh, song. So I thought I'd just play that real fast.
So uh, that'll be every Wednesday from now on until the chip shortage is over, which is probably in about 18 months. Okay, so let's go to you and... Uh, I'm going to hold this thing up. Look at this. This is, this is actually with the Pico inside of it because it's just doing the random LED, but it's like, have you ever wanted a connection machine for yes. your Barbie doll? You're set. She can now uh, do all sorts of... My first supercomputer. My first supercomputer. Um, yes, designed by Thinking Machines. Um, a gorgeous uh, machine that we saw in person. Uh, Trammell Hudson um, reprogrammed the LEDs when it was at the MoMA Museum for a, a computing design um, exhibit, which was really awesome. Um, but we thought, wouldn't you want to have something like this on your desk? And it's got like the vents... And it's got like this cool, shiny, metallic uh, print. Um, you can fit a Raspberry Pi 4, which um, is hard to get. But if you happen to have one, uh, Raspberry Pi fits in it. And you can do a little bit more complicated um, LED patterns. Or this has a Pico. Um, you just need, um, the code is, I think, are Arduino compatible. So you just need something, to be honest, anything with two I2C ports. Because you have to, um, you can only address four of them on one port because there's not enough I2C addresses to go around. Um, but it's lovely. Yeah, go to the Wikipedia page real quick, and uh, then we'll show the Wikipedia page with it, and then you can hold it up in the little uh, small version. So of... you want to see the connection machine? Yeah, go to that. Because they have a good photo on, of it there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now... Uh, this is the CM2. Yeah, so now, there you go. So it's room size, you know, it's pretty big. And now hold yeah. up, hold up the one that we made. Not pretty, bad. Pretty close, right? Pretty close. Yeah, not so bad. Yeah, I mean, the number of LEDs is a little different, but it's a very good facsimile. We even got the little, the, the triangle vents that okay. um, non paper really right. liked, so. Next up, we're going to uh, wrap up our show with uh, where we went yesterday. Um, but first, a question. If the SAMD NR and NRF chips are unobtainium, is there a chance of an ESP or RP2040 circuit playground board? Um, the RP2040 isn't a very good candidate because it doesn't have a lot of analog pins. Um, and the ESP32 is okay, but it's much higher power. Um, so there's trade-offs. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, ESP32 S3 might be a good option because it has Bluetooth, but it's a very new chip. And, of course, ESP doesn't have make good support. Okay, so yesterday we went to the Vintage Computer Festival East, which also had the Info Age uh, Museum. And we posted almost 300 photos in a video today. Um, Lady Ada, maybe uh, scroll through and just talk about some of the ones that you enjoyed. Sure. Um, yes, this is in reverse order, but there was... Um, a great uh, computer history and radio history area. Um, there was a working uh, Pong machine, original Pong machine. Uh, a lot of old computers. Um, this is kind of interesting. This is the, um, I don't know why I did Twitter so low. This is a, a 1958 analog computer. This, I believe it, um, I was talking to a friend and he mentioned this had the first op amp ever made, which is the, a, a Philbrick op amp. Um, it was created, and maybe it was created for this um, uh, computer, but this is an analog computer, um, and of course it had the first op app. It's not working, but they're working there. I think they're trying to get it up and, and functional. Um, you know, other like cool, I love like some of the graphics effects, this, the IBM Think logo, um, classic stuff, a lot of teletypes. 
Um, you know, a PDP-8 classic, you know, working, you could program it if you wanted to. Um, a lot of orange, um, a collection of different uh, mice. Um, this was funny. This was a like in situ recreation of uh, a 1980s um, Commodore 64 owning teenager, you know, who would have a Miami Vice poster, like a plastic ficus tree and like a rotary phone and, and a terminal printer and like a weirdly comfortable chair. Um, and some figurines from, from the new movie Star Wars. So, and a Monty Python video. So, um, good stuff. A lot of keyboards, some Heath kits, um, a Commodore pet, which is actually as adorable as I thought. Also has this totally gorgeous um, ortho keyboard, uh, which you can check out. Just like ridiculous. Um, uh, they had a um, Apple Lisa and a Apple III. Two things that are hard to get. There was a, a working Next Cube, um, a couple like Data General, a Baybox that was working, um, a Cray. So they had a lot of the weird stuff. You know, it's like you know, I've seen a lot of like, oh, here's a retro computer collection. It's like, okay, you got like a K Pro, and like a you know, a couple Commodore 64s and like you know, ZX Spectrums. But they had the really weird shit, which was I think very impressive. Like. Very old, very rare, hard to come by stuff. There was also a military museum, um, with some really cool old uh, military equipment and, and you know, radars and radar jammers. Um, we also went to VCF and saw some of the setups there. People had various uh, computer kits and setups, um, phones, custom Macs. Um, this was interesting. Some fellow had like old French computers and French software. Like there was, a, there's a whole other like Galapagos Island of computers that um, you know France invented and like never really left that country. Um, like I've never heard of the Alice computer, um, so it's cool to see some of that stuff. Uh, keyboards, um, lots of games set up. Um, oh, there's a check. Uh, weird history. By Steve Jobs that he personally paid for some parts for uh, Tektronic. Yeah, so this is cool. You can see it's canceled on the back. Yeah. Um, for $9.18. Yeah. To Tektronic, which is down the street. A lot of core memory. Some clear apples and Macs. Books, power books, uh, tubes. The, the radio... And telephone and, and um, television museum was, I think, the, the best part of the whole show. And they, they were open all the time, uh, but they had a ton of telephone and radio and tube amp history. Um, and the best part is, like, you know, as, as Phil will attest, whenever I go to museums, I'm always, like, looking closely at stuff. And I always get yelled at by the staff because they're like, you're too mm -hmm. close. And I'm like, I want to look at the thing and see the detail. Like, the whole point of seeing it in person is it's not on the screen where I'm like limited by, you know, the resolution. I can actually look at the texture and like how it's put together. Um, the cool thing about this museum is um, there's a lot of stuff you could touch that they were like, go ahead and touch this. And then there's a lot of stuff that um, while you can't touch, um, there were people who were running the museum and they would like open things for me or like show, like they would, could they, like, they'll take stuff out of the box and they'll like mess with it a little bit if you want. So um, and as long as you're like not destructive, they might even let you uh, play with it a bit. So there was a lot more um, tactile interaction, which I thought was really great. Um, one of the things that's, I understand a lot of stuff's delicate, but it's like, 
If there's a teletype there, you want to type on the teletype. And um, there you can type on the teletype. And you can tune in the radio and you can play with the theremin and you can, um, you know, see the phone switching network go. And, and um, they had old radios and, and televisions you could play with. So um, as long as you're gentle, they were, they were pretty chill. There's also a um, hacker space there. Uh, we saw some... Lots of Adafruit kits there. We saw some Adafruit kits. Good collection of Make magazines and 2,600 mile jobs. Yeah, there you go. The first issue. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's also... Uh, this is, I guess, the, it's on Marconi Road. Um, there's also a, a really cool dish, which apparently you can go and you will you can tune and listen to signals. Yeah, we're going to go there again. So we didn't get to see that. We actually had to, we had to keep going. We didn't get to go in. And there's an Apple II lab, which yeah. I'm not exactly... I guess, I don't know. They, they, they take... They take eight-year-olds and they're like, you you're, go, trapped, you're trapped in Stranger Things time. Look, it's just like your iPhone. It has an it's Apple like logo on it. <laughs> Look, it's like an iPad, but different. It's an iPad. You okay, can... so check that out. I put yeah. all the links in the um, chat and more. So, uh, you know, we, we take photos for all of you. We don't take it for the world. We take it for our community and our friends. And so we thought that you all might enjoy these. Um, specifically, uh, when I uh, hold up a camera, the, the lens that I have is, I wonder what, um, you know, like there's like a hundred people in my head that I'm like, I think they might like this. Um, and we didn't even get photos of everything. We really yeah. had to kind of rush but, through. But that being said, this is the most photos I've ever seen posted of the museum so yes. far. And I thought that would uh, maybe help them. Um, this is a jewel in New Jersey of knowledge and sharing. And the people there are very dedicated to sharing the history of how we all got here. And this isn't even including the Jeep and Tank there's Museum. There's Jeep, uh, there's military, there's, if you, if yeah, you there's have, a lot of stuff there. If you or your kid are re is really interested in military vehicles, and I know some people would love that shit, there is like three warehouses full of restored um, and, World War II plus. And even if you don't. World War One, World War II, yeah. etc. military vehicles. Even if you don't, it is, it, it is so good to expose yourself to all the different ways that we built things in history. Yeah. So like, you know. There's also a tank ride. They'll yeah. actually so ride I'll, you around in a I'll tank. I'll give you an example. Like, <laughs> like there is a there is a pretty modern Jeep there and it has a tactical nuke on it. And I'm not into tactical nukes so much, but it was really neat to see like, oh, that's how they mount a tactical nuke to I was, yeah, that was to, a, to a Jeep. Intense. No, it was, it was cool to see how all this stuff works and to understand. It doesn't mean like I want to get a Jeep with a tactical nuke. I don't think that's an option at my local dealership. I will find out. But yeah. we'll see. Um, so, anyhow, that's um, all that's the, the stuff that we have for Museum. this week. Go all right, Lady Ada, that was a really good jam-packed show. I know, 45 minutes. But it was great to uh, chat with everybody, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Check out uh, this week's 3D print, which is this, of course, gorgeous Connection Machine 2 that sits on your desktop and can house your Raspberry Pi. Um, we're going to be back with live shows this week. Um, we'll be back on schedule with Wednesday. JP's out this week, but we're around. Uh, 3D Hangouts is around. Yep, and we're doing... We're deep Dive with Foamy Guy. Yeah, and we'll be doing Chip Shortage. Chip right. Shortage. So I'm going to, as we play out, I'm going to play uh, a video that is... Uh, let's see how long it is. It is... Yeah. Where is the video? Which video? I have a little video of the, um, of the, oh, here it is, the Vintage uh, Fest. So okay. I'm going to, I'm going to play, I'm going to play out with this. So just, it's uh, like a minute. no, it's uh, three minutes and 56 seconds. Oh, okay. All right. Enjoy All right, everybody. Four minutes of fun. See ya. Bye everybody.
voice is working. Oh yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay. Alert. Alien crash advantage. Alert. Alien crash advantage. Very simple device. That's true. Well, you can't. You can't hold it. Very simple device. Hi, Dad. Are you here? <laughs> That's okay. This is all for show, anyways. Never a lesson.